Our lesson today is uh, session three, redeemed from a critical spirit. Redeemed from a critical spirit. Anybody here have a critical spirit? We all have critical spirits at some times, right? Um, when we, some, when no one can't say anything to, to us, and we would actually snap at them. Okay, that's what a critical spirit looks like. Snappy, snapping at people when they, they don't really deserve it. Uh, but we are in that mood. Question number one on page 83. When have you been thankful for someone's criticism? Or, put it last, next, another way, when was the last time you were thankful for somebody's criticism? Someone criticized you, and uh, after you thought about it, you said, you know, that person is right, I thank, I thank them for that. You know, you realize that um, they were telling you the truth. Um, and sometimes that happens. Um, a person, uh, what the Bible tells us, only those who love us will, will speak the truth. And sometimes people do that. And we have those encounters every now and then. Okay, page 84. Uh, Bible meets life. Can you have someone read that, please? Criticism has sunk to a whole new level in recent years. Thanks to social media, people make critical comments online they would never say to someone's face. It's easy to criticize from a distance, and that sense of distance or, or anonymity emboldens people to be especially ruthless. As a result, people have become downright mean-spirited in their speech. It's easy to embrace a critical spirit. It's hardwired into our fallen nature. When we compare ourselves with others, our own sense of insecurity wants to bring others down and elevate ourselves. We begin to pass judgment on them, their motives, actions, and thoughts, as if we have the right to do so. As we'll see in the example of Miriam from the Book of Numbers, we damage lives, including our own, when we criticize others. We'll also see that the discontentment underneath our criticism can only be broken when we place our focus back on God. Okay, so the point of the lesson is what? Don't criticize. Don't criticize because a critical spirit damages our lives. That's the point that we ought to get from this entire lesson today. A critical spirit damages our lives. And we have a story uh, that we're going to look at. And uh, as we study, we will see the dangers of a critical spirit through the life of Miriam. And uh, we know what happened to her, right? So we'll see that in detail. Okay, let's look at the passages, what the Bible has to say about all of this. Uh, issue of having a critical spirit. Numbers chapter 12, uh, read verses 1 to 3 on page 85, please. Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because of the Cushite woman to be married, for he had married a Cushite woman. They said, Does the Lord speak only through Moses? Does he not also speak through us? And the Lord heard it. Moses was a very humble man more so than any man on the face of the earth. Okay. And we see that term there, uh, Cushite, uh, refers to M Moses' wife Zipporah. 
uh, Midianite and Cushite were used as synonyms. Right? Uh, so Midianite and Cushite were basically interchangeable terms that were used. And uh, she was the second wife of Moses, um, which he may have married Sephora after, after Sephora died. Okay, um, as though Moses did not have enough troubles dealing with all these complaining Israelites, during the company's stay in Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses. Okay, all that Moses was going through, the last thing he needed was somebody criticizing him because of the woman he married to. Okay, but that's typical of today, isn't it? We have that happening right now. They were his siblings, and uh, those are the first people to criticize any, any marriage situation, the siblings. Why you had to go marry her, or why you got to go marry him? And he no doubt counted on their support. You know, when you, when you really need the support of your siblings, is a time when you don't get it. And so Moses found himself in that situation. He expected that they would understand that his wife died, and uh, he was lonely, he needed a partner, he needed to marry somebody else, and he, he, he chose this woman, that was his choice. And he expected that his family would support him, uh, but they didn't, instead they complained. Miriam was a prophetess, so there you go. It, it's another issue where, where, where we have, you know, if anyone should know better, should have been her, right? Yeah. She was a prophetess. Aaron was Moses' chief spokesman. Okay, so these were two top people in, 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 in Moses' life and his leadership, and, uh, and they were siblings. So they had, they had, they had three positions. Okay, they were, they were his, his, uh, his confidants. Okay, they assisted him in leadership, and they were siblings. And so he would, you would expect that he would have uh, their support. Uh, Aaron was also Israel's high, high priest. So you would expect that he, of all people, should have known better, and he should have been able to rebuke Miriam, right? He's a high priest. He should have been able to rebuke her, uh, because she was the one who was leading this, this, this criticism. Uh, the Hebrew word rendered criticized conveys a sense of hostility. Okay, hostility. She was hostile toward Moses because of the woman that he married. The reason given for the verbal attack was that Moses had married a Cushite woman, a native of an area south of Egypt. Okay, so she was a foreigner. All right? Uh, that probably was at the bottom of the whole issue. Okay, why couldn't you marry one of our own women? Why are you going to go all the way out there? Okay, can, can you imagine, can you, you can imagine the, the outrage, right? Or the complaint, all right? <laughs> you know, they had no referendum, all right? And so, uh, he was, uh, he was attacked, really. Uh, there were, there were different views concerning the meaning of a Cushite, of Cushite, it may refer to a second wife of Moses, possibly married after his first wife, Zipporah, died. Could be referring to Zipporah herself, since Midianite and Cushite were used synonymously. All right? Um, Cushite meant, can be translated beautiful in appearance, and may have been used to describe or to be descriptive of Zipporah's appearance. 
All right, and that could be another uh, means of criticism too, right? Okay, uh, so there are a whole lot of issues that could be uh, on the underlining why um, Miriam, in particular, led the criticism. All right, sounds like jealousy, right? Okay. Question number two on page 86. What are some of the main motivations behind our desire to criticize? What are some of the main motivations behind our desire to criticize? Jealousy. That's number one. Top of the list. Jealousy, right? What else? That's this might not agree with none of you, but nevertheless, this is say how the world criticizes in top management. Someone who is in top management will not will bring that particular person to the office and he will explain the goodness of what they have done into the company. Never ever to mention what they did wrong. That's true. That's true. This is that's true. That, uh, that is really how you go about it. And therefore, it brings the person who have done something wrong, realize, for gracious sakes of life, I, you know, I, I made an error, and therefore, it will not be repeated. That is the way how criticism basically should be done, or that's the way how mm -hmm. companies does it. Yeah, good point. Okay, let's look at the. Uh Let's look at the paragraphs on page 86. God had called Moses to an unprecedented task. Moses not only led the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage, but he also led them through the desert to the edge of the promised land, a task that ultimately took 40 years. Through it all, his two older siblings, Miriam and Aaron, served beside him. In this passage, Miriam and Aaron verbally criticized Moses because of his wife. They evidently didn't like the woman he chose to marry because she was a Kushite. They may have been speaking about Zephora, Moses' wife, who was from Medinim, or about another woman he later married. Either way, their complaint concerned the woman's ethnicity. It appears they weren't happy with her and they weren't happy with Moses for marrying her. In reality, however, there was more to this story. The real issue came out when they asked, does the Lord speak only through Moses? Does he not also speak through us? Their dislike of Moses' wife was only a facade, a smokescreen that covered their true motivations. At the core, Miriam was jealous. She was comparing herself with her brother, Moses was God's mouthpiece. He had the platform and the prominence. He was a miracle worker on a first name basis with God and met with him face to face. All eyes were on Moses. But what about Miriam? Miriam felt slighted by God. He hadn't lifted her to a place of respect and honor like a brother, but she felt she deserved it. Does he not also speak through us? In essence, she was asking, what about me? Miriam may have thought she had all the qualities of a good leader, but Moses had something she didn't. She didn't. Humility. Moses was a very humble man, more so than any man on the face of the earth. 
Now that's saying now that's saying something. It may even be that Miriam's cynicism toward her brother was fueled by Moses' humility. God was doing great things through Moses, yet he acted as if he was unaware of his giftedness. There's no room for humility in a critical heart. Okay. Now Let's consider some of the underlying motivations of this conflict by highlighting a couple of points that would be just read on page 86. Number one, the real issue came out when they asked, does the Lord speak only through Moses? Does he not speak through us? Their dislike of Moses' wife was only a facade a smoke screen that covered their true emotions. Now, isn't that true of jealousy? When you think the issue is one thing, it has an underlying issue that doesn't come on the surface. But you, when you look at what is being said on the surface, you could quite easily be able to determine what is beneath the surface. And so we see that here in this case. And number two, Miriam felt slighted by God. He hadn't, he, he hadn't lifted her to a place of respect and honor like a brother, but she felt she had deserved it. Remember now, she was a prophetess, okay? So she felt that she should have a little bit more honor than, 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 than what she was given, okay? And when you look at those persons who, it's easy to think of how Miriam behaved when we look at those who call themselves prophetesses today, okay? They get the same attitude. The same spirit. They want people to bow to them. They want people to lift them up on a pinnacle. Okay? So Miriam's attitude and spirit is, is similar to what we see people who call themselves prophetesses and prophets too, uh, behaving like today. They probably got it from Miriam. <laughs> More probably that's the reason why they act that way. Because of the way Miriam are. You get them titles, boy, you, you, some people don't respond to you if you don't call them by their title, you know. That's right. You know, you don't call them by their title, they, they, they ignore you. Okay, and so we see, we see Miriam in that same light here. She felt that God, now listen to us, God wasn't giving her the respect that she deserved. Okay, that's the second point. And the third thing we see is Miriam may have felt she had all the qualities of a good leader, but Moses had something she didn't. Humility. Humility. She missed that one. Okay, that's something that she didn't see. In Moses, there's no room, I notice the point is, there's no room for humility in a critical heart. Okay, because her heart was so critical, there was no space in there for no humility. And that's the way she behaved, that's the reason why she behaved the way she did. Now notice the phrase, and the Lord heard it. See that in verse two? Yeah. Is there anything God doesn't hear? Everything. Nothing. Now you know she was a, she was she was a prophetess. You would think that she would think about that first, right? Yeah. You know, but a lot of times people do things and they don't even think about God being omniscient, omnipresent, all-knowing. All they think about is themselves, and that's what Miriam is thinking about. She was only thinking about herself. And so the, the phrase that we have in verse 2, and the Lord heard cast an ominous shadow on Miriam's actions. As we'll see when we look at the next uh, verses. 
uh, verses 1 to 4. But before that, we look at, let's look at the a critical rewrite on page 87. A critical rewrite. Below are three examples of the sort of speech that comes from a critical spirit. Choose one of these examples to rephrase in a way that is more loving and constructive. Okay, let's look at them. I knew you couldn't handle this. I know this was a challenge. Okay, I know this was a challenge. Anybody else could rephrase that? Instead of saying, I knew you couldn't handle this, what, how, would you, would you, how would you word it? In a more, what is this? Loving and constructive way. Do you need help with it? Do you need any help with this? Anybody else? Okay. He throws doubt in the individual that uh, you have doubts that you cannot control or you cannot go through it. Okay. So, but how would you how would you rephrase that first one to the person in a more loving and constructive way, rather than saying to them, "I knew you couldn't handle this." Ryan said, I knew you could not, you, you say that and the person gets upset and you know, but how would you say that, how would you rephrase that in a more loving and constructive way so that they wouldn't get upset? Can we work this out together? Can we work this out together? Okay, that's a good one. Anybody else? You don't want to upset them. You know they couldn't handle it, right? You know that, right? But you don't want to tell them that up, right? You want to say something that's loving and constructive that wouldn't upset them. How would you say it? Say that Okay. Okay, that's the one thing that you said. How can I help you with this? Okay. Look at let's look at the next one. You never listen to what I'm trying to say. <laughs> How do you phrase that one? I can phrase from my Okay, we had that one a lot, right? You never listen to what I'm trying to say. How would you rephrase that? Um, no matter how you phrase that one, you're still gonna you're still gonna get looked at cockeyed, right? Okay, the other one is that outfit doesn't look good on you at all. Oh Lord. <laughs> I don't know how you can fix that one. Alright? That outfit doesn't look good on you at all. Alright? How would you fix that one? Buy a larger size. Buy a larger size. Okay? That may be insulting. Don't do anything to you. Huh? Okay. Has how has your relationship with God helped you respond when others speak critically of you? Okay? Question for us. How has your relationship with God helped you respond when others speak critically of you? In other words, when people criticize you. How has your relationship with God helped you to respond to that in a more positive way rather than in a negative way? Patience. Well, patience, okay. You should always be mindful that they do the same to Christ. 
Okay, always be mindful that they did the same thing to Christ. Okay, anybody else? Take the Help me hold the Okay. Okay, exercise humility like Moses did. Moses didn't respond, did he? No, he didn't. Okay, um, and so sometimes it's best not to say anything, right? Easy said. Easy said. I knew a fellow like that. Boy, no matter how much you criticize him, no matter what you said about him, he said nothing. He said nothing. Wow. Nothing. Wow. The most stinging rebukes, he said nothing. And so we see what Moses did. He exercised the humility that he had. And it says Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. That's a good example to follow. Okay, let's look at the power, power, paragraph, see what the Bible has to say. On uh, page 85 again, verses uh, 4011. Verses 4011. Someone read that, please. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, You three come out of the tent of meeting. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord descended in a pillar of a cloud, stood at the entrance of the tent, and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them came forward, he said, Listen to what I say. If there is a prophet among you from the Lord, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. I speak with him directly, openly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. So why? Were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The Lord's anger burned against them, and he left. As the cloud moved away from the tent, Miriam's skin suddenly became diseased as white as snow. When Aaron turned toward her, he saw that she was diseased, and said to Moses, My Lord, please don't hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Okay. All right, so we see the Lord uh, call the three of them and say, three y'all come here. Come, come, come. Three y'all come. We need to talk. All right? So the Lord pulled them aside and, uh, and the Lord rebuked. He literally rebuked um, Aaron and Miriam, right? And he told them the kind of relationship he had with Moses. Uh, it was unlike any other relationship that he had with anybody else. We noticed a couple of um, uh, definitions there in verse 8. Uh, the form of the Lord. Uh, forms or means likeness or semblance. Uh, a phrase not likely refers to some type of a visible representation of God, but not to his full glory. And so God appeared uh, to him in a particular form. And then we see disease, verse 10. Uh, a wide variety of skin diseases ranging from ranging in severity of effects from white spots on the skin to the loss of fingers and toes. Um, uh, lepers were, were, were known to lose fingers and toes uh, in addition to having all the other stuff. And so we see in verses 4 and 5, God has a quick response uh, to the complaint against Moses. Moses didn't have to defend himself. God was defending him. And God was very swift. So, so you see why the Bible tells us that vengeance is the Lord's? Yes. 
we not we don't need to defend ourselves and be working for God or when we serving our living fam. God does that, and He does a good job of it. And he don't need no help from us in doing so. So we see that here in 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 the case with Moses, God quickly responds. He pulls all three of them and says, "Now, now, now sit down. Let me tell you all something." Okay, this is God in, in, in our time. Let me tell you all something. And that's the way you come across, right? When you're trying to straighten people out. Okay, God said, now let me tell you all something. When I, when I appear to prophets and stuff, I come, I, I do that in a dream or vision. But Moses, he's a different person. He and I got a good thing going. Okay, this is how God responds. And he wanted to put them in their place. And so he responds quite quickly and he, under, he underlines the gravity of the situation. Uh, the tent of Mino is a place where God met with his people outside the camp. Okay, when Moses and Aaron and, and arrived, the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud. The Lord descended, describes as theophany, is what is called a visible appearance of God to the people. So God prepared to them in a particular form. The pillar, the pillar of cloud was a visible expression of God's presence, and they knew what that meant. And uh, God, command, God began by commanding, verse 6, He commanded their focus attention. Listen to his words. To listen to his words was to hear them with expectation of obedience. And so when God spoke, he expected them to listen with the expectation that they're going to do what he says. And so God contrasted a prophet and Moses. This contrast presupposes that Moses and Aaron were prophets. Prophets were spokespersons for God. They were God's like mouthpieces, representatives, declaring God's messages, the messages that God revealed to them, to the people. Now, if someone among the Israelites was a prophet from the Lord, a genuine prophet of God, prophet that God chose, the Lord communicated with that individual in a vision or a dream. And we see that throughout the scriptures. That's how he communicated with his prophets, genuine prophets, whom he had chosen. He would give them a vision or a dream. And God says, if you were a prophet, you would understand that. But, but when it comes to Moses, no, no, no. Moses, we, we speak face to face. We are on such terms that we speak face to face. And so God is putting them in their place with regards to the kind of relationship that he had with Moses, and in other ways, he was saying, how dare you talk to Moses like this? Don't you know who he is? Don't you know the kind of relationship he have with me? You should be scared of me when you talk to him like that. That's the point that, that God was making. All right, let's look at the, uh, the next question then. Question number three. What price do we pay for critical, for a critical spirit? What price do we pay? for a critical spirit. What does it cost us? Friendship. Hmm? Friendship? friendship. Of course, it costs us friendship sometimes. What else does it cost? Embarrassment. Embarrassment, right. Okay, let's look at what uh, the paragraphs tell us on page 88. Verse 4 gives me flashbacks of being called to the principal's office in middle school. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, You three, come out of the tent of meeting. God was not pleased. You could say that God was upset. He was vexed. It goes on. God won't tolerate a critical spirit. He confronted Miriam and he corrected her thinking and her attitude toward her brother. 
Then he disciplined her. As the cloud moved away from the tent, Miriam's skin suddenly became diseased as white as snow. Verse 10. There's always a price to pay for nursing a critical spirit. And not just for the people we hurt with our jealousy and criticism. We pay the price ourselves. Granted, it's not likely that we'll be stricken with an infectious skin disease as punishment, yet we may be more similar, we may be more similar to Miriam than we realize. When a person developed a skin disease in the Israelite community, he or she was separated from the rest of the people, isolated. When we are critical of others, it grieves the Holy Spirit who calls us to be kind and compassionate. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 4, which causes a break in our fellowship with God. In both cases, criticism separates us from others. Let me address one specific area of criticism. God equips his followers with gifts and abilities for use in his kingdom. We don't get to pick the gifts, but we do get to choose how we respond to the way God distributes those gifts. If we react negatively, like Miriam did by comparing herself and Aaron with Moses, we risk losing our, our effectiveness in using the gifts God has given us for His glory. Why? We become so obsessed with the shortcomings of others that we no longer can move forward and use our gifts for the gospel. Let's avoid the consequences of comparison of the comparison game, which only grows into criticism. Okay, and we'll note that happens in many a body of Christ. Many congregations have that, have that experience, where they're comparing themselves with others because of the gifts that they have, rather than using the gifts that God has given them. Not, not understanding that God gives whoever he wants whatever gifts he wants, and that's God's choice. That's not our choice. So it's not up to us to criticize or to be critical because another because of the gift another person has. But we see that a lot. Um, and uh, Miriam and Aaron's case mirror what we see happening in the church today. Okay, let's look at um, what the Bible has to say again. Uh, chapter 12 of Numbers, verses 13 to 15. Someone read that, please. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, God, please heal her. The Lord answered Moses, If her father had merely spit in her face, wouldn't she remain in disgrace for seven days? Let her be confined outside the camp for seven days. After that, she may be brought back in. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days. And the people did not move on until Miriam was brought back in. Okay, now let's look at the paragraphs on page 89. Again, critical spirit is like a dead limb. It never bears good fruit and it, keep, and it creeps into our hearts and steals away our ability to worship God. It must be cut away. If not, God will discipline us to make us fruitful. And we see the fruit, uh, how God does that in John 15. God struck Miriam with a skin disease, but his purpose was to discipline, not to condemn. 
Aaron confessed in verse 11, identifying what he and Miriam had done as sin, and he pleaded for her deliverance. Moses also prayed, God, please heal her, according to verse 13. Fortunately for Miriam, God responded. It's not clear if the healing was immediate, but the fact that Miriam could be brought back into the camp after seven days indicates God healed her. Still, as a part of the discipline process, Miriam had to endure the humiliation of being isolated from the others for seven days. The law in Leviticus 13 requires this as a part of a dealing with skin disease. By God's grace, Miriam's condition was not fatal and it was not final. Miriam was confined for a season outside the camp, but she was eventually restored and reunited with her family. Ultimately, Miriam was remembered among the Israelites for her leadership, not for her critical spirit, according to Micah 6 and 4. Just as Miriam's failure in this area was not the final word, neither does it have to be in our lives. God can redeem us from a critical spirit. Now notice, um, in order to reinforce the dangers of harboring a critical spirit, notice what verse, the verse paragraph says. A critical spirit is like a dead limb. It never bears good fruit. Okay, it creeps into our hearts and steals away our ability to worship God. It must be cut away. If not, God will discipline us to make us fruitful. Okay, so if you have a critical spirit, you can guarantee that God is going to do some cutting. God is going to do some discipline. Question number four on page 89. How can we help, others, help, help one another avoid a critical spirit? How can we help one another avoid a critical spirit? By being Christ-like. By being Christ-like is one answer. Anybody else? By motivation, the individual, the person who has a critical spirit, lives in a cycle where they refuse to accept a higher degree of understanding. So therefore, they're stuck with that same atmosphere and also the way that they uh, look at life. So how would you help a person like that? Just to try to motivate them that there is a better way. Okay. The okay, there's an alternative. Yes. Okay. Yes. There's an alternative Christ-like way. Right. Okay. Good answers. All right. Um, verse, uh, when we look at verse 14, we notice that God's answer to Moses, Moses' urgent, urgent plea. He described a situation which may have either been hypothetical or an ancient practice within the community. A father spitting in his daughter's face, expected, expressed contempt and public humiliation. A daughter so treated spent seven days in the disgrace of isolation as punishment. God said Mir Miriam's leprosy as judgment was to be taken no less seriously than a father spitting in his daughter's face. Okay, and so he compared the two as being the same. Um, seven days period was also uh, prescribed 
for the detection and cleansing of a skin disease by, by the priests. Uh, we see that in Leviticus chapter 13 and chapter 14. Miriam was to be confined outside the camp for seven days, after which she would be allowed to rejoin the community. So that was punishment in, in itself, being isolated. And remember, we talked about being how criticism isolates us whenever we have a critical spirit. And, uh, and so those things we need to keep in mind. Also, uh, verse 15, oh, we mentioned that, um, question number five. People often isolate themselves through a critical spirit. Which steps can we take to restore them to the community? And I think, Brother Cliff, you mentioned motivating, motivating them to change their attitude. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a good answer as it relates to this question as well. All right, let's look at the, uh, how we, to apply this as we wrap it up. Uh, page 90. What do you, what do you fight against? What will you do to fight against the critical spirit in your life? Consider these steps in the next week as we deal with a critical spirit. One, observe. Watch how you talk about other people. Keep track of your words and the attitude of your heart when you're commenting on other people, their successes and their failures. Sometimes we don't think when we're talking about other people and sometimes they hear it and they get upset, right? So observe. Second one is confess. Own up to any habits of comparison or jealousy that may have taken root in your life. Ask God to help you change into healthier patterns of celebration. And three, speak. Speak the truth in love, according to what uh, we are told to do in Ephesians 4.15. But focus on encouraging those around you. Words that encourage build others up. We also see a reference in uh, Ephesians 4.29, and can lead them to the gospel of Christ. They see reflected in you. In other words, be an example. Okay, final point. Like most people in today's world, you regularly encounter critical, the critical spirits of others. Yet, you don't have to give in to that criticism. You can resist the damage and move away from a critical spirit by humbly seeking God as Moses did. Okay, so Moses is our example of how to deal with a critical spirit. Don't necessarily respond. Act in humility. Let God handle it. Let God deal with it like he did with Moses. Amen? Mm -hmm.